the environments that I existed in were very, very conducive to that. You look at all of the spaces, you know, the people I was hanging out with, the places I was frequenting, all of that stuff. Like there were just, you know, I found the people that I could party with and that's, those were my people. And so I found the bars where I could party and that's what I did, you know? So my environment wasn't one that was saying, Hey Claire, like this is not okay. It was very okay. And today I know it was not okay, but I had no awareness of that at the time. And then the, the ownership of actions. I mean, that was a piece I really didn't learn until I got sober. Like it was just, well, I was just was blacked out, you know, period the end. And now I look at that and I'm like, where were the people at? Like shaking me being like, Hey, blacking out multiple days a week is like super not normal, you know, but either way, I have the experiences that I have now and they have brought me to where I am today and I'm beyond at peace with that. And I'm just grateful to be alive. <laughs> I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur. And I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and today's guest is Claire Bays. Claire is an online movement, nutrition, and mindset coach at Wellness with Claire. She hosts this sensational podcast, Conversations with Claire, and she is a personal trainer at The Collective in Austin, Texas. She's a sober alcoholic and competitive athlete in High Rocks Racing and CrossFit. Claire believes that wellness is a mental, physical, and spiritual experience, and that you are beyond capable of growing, learning, and changing. Today, Claire comes on the podcast to share her incredible story of overcoming addiction and finding recovery. I love sharing stories like these on the podcast. I really enjoyed the conversation, and I think you will too. So with that said, let's get this conversation going and welcome Claire Bays to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Claire, welcome to the podcast. Hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm super excited to chat with you and to unpack your incredible story of recovery. And I know we're, we're going to get into like your rock bottom moment where you were assaulted, humiliated publicly, and it just, just forced you to finally make this change that you've been wanting to make for some time, but just couldn't figure out a way to do so. But at this point, at that point, you felt desperate enough that you know you needed to. But I think first, I'd like to start at like the genesis at the beginning of all this, because I've heard you mention that you started to drink at the age of 13, it's just to have fun. And I think a lot of people, they do that. But I've heard you also say that it escalated to the point where it became your main coping mechanism for your thoughts in your head, for how you felt about your life. So walk the audience through, like how did it go from you just wanting to, to get drunk with some friends at the age of 13? And how did that progress to you using it as a coping mechanism? Well, it was a gradual process. It took time. It took 15 years to be exact. And so, yes, I started to drink when I was 13, right? I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma and partying was certainly a big part of culture for a lot of people. And I have phenomenal parents. My parents are wonderful, but as I was a child growing up, they were very hands-off and I wasn't really a, I wasn't causing trouble. And so they were very hands-off. Therefore, they were pretty unaware of what I was up to a lot of the time. And so I get introduced to alcohol at age 13 when I decide to drink for my first time. I black out. The very first time I drank, I blacked out. You know, alcoholism is a progressive illness, right? And that was certainly true for me. And so what started out at age 13 of being fun. What I learned at that point when I started to drink was simply like, oh, I become fun. I am the life of the party. People like me. I am seen. I am heard. I am all of those things that we want, right? And so that was transformative because about that time in my life, I was certainly going through the awkward stages of like, you know, puberty and stuff. So I was not the cute girl. I was not, you know, I just wasn't getting attention. And so this all occurred around the time where that started to shift. And so, yeah, through high school, I definitely was known 
as someone who partied, but I didn't cause trouble. And one of the unique features about me with alcohol is I can consume quite a bit of it and still be pretty okay to you. I might be entirely blacked out, but you don't know it. That was my style of drinking. So I go through high school into, you know, young adulthood. I turned 21 and the week I turned 21, I'm bartending. You know, I was just, alcohol was a very central part of my life from a social perspective. It was a social lubricant and I really enjoyed that. And so it brought me attention and it brought me all these, you know, memories where we're having a good time. And then year over year that starts to shift and I start to realize that some of the events that are taking place while I'm consuming alcohol, which don't get me wrong, they started at a very young age, that were not okay. I just brushed them under the rug and didn't talk to people about those events and didn't give them any, you know, just just move along, move along, and didn't process what all of that really was. Anyway, as the occurrences that are more traumatic start to pile up at some point, you know, I'm like, oh, this occurred. I am blacking out while driving or, you know, coming out while I'm still driving. That's not okay. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. And if you do suffer from alcoholism, then you've got this interesting thing where you actually like, you know, the more distance from the event that occurs, you suddenly think that like, that won't happen again. Like I won't do that again. I'll do it differently this time. That was a one-off. That was weird. But alcohol was always a release for me too, as the pressures of life. And when you're young, you don't get it. You don't know, you know, but the pressures of life build. I started to, you know, know that, okay, well this weekend I'll get to drink and then I'll get to shut off. And so it started to transition into this coping mechanism of the stressors of life build. But I know that only in a matter of days or hours, I'm going to get to have that release, that relief and comfort that comes from intaking substances. And of course, by the time that I actually got sober, I had certainly ventured away from just alcohol and was intaking many other substances because at that point I was truly desperate to be numb. I was fully aware by the time I stopped that I was just trying to be numb. Like it was a very clear intention. I don't want to feel, but that was progressive. And so, yeah, so we go into my twenties and and more stuff happens that I'm like, oh shoot, you know, that that's not, you can't fall asleep in the drive-through at 3 PM. Like you can't do that. And it's mortifying. And you think I'll never do that again. How could I be that person that would do that? And then a matter of hours, days goes by and you believe that you'll do it differently next time. And then you just miss the mark you know? So that was my experience. And then the thing that really drove me straight into alcoholism and numbing was my grandmother passed away and she had the largest hand in my upbringing. And she was just a very active role in my life. She was my role model. She meant everything to me and she passed away unexpectedly. And that was February 13th, 2021. And so I got sober April 26, 2021. And so over the course of that time is when things really took off. And by that point, I was no longer, you know, the things that were going on in my life. Like I remember being at home that week, taking care of things, doing all of the stuff because I am a doer. And then once I left, I said, I don't want to feel anything. I poured a big gin and tonic and I drove away. And I drove hours away because I had this cute little habit of going and partying far enough away from home so that the people at home where my business was didn't really know what I was up to. So I was, you know, compartmentalizing my life in that way until I couldn't hide it anymore. Right. And I definitely want to get into this traumatic moment that like really forced you to get sober. But I, I first want to like go back and unpack a couple things. And and you mentioned that your your home life, while it wasn't, there was nothing necessarily quote unquote wrong with it, your parents were kind of hands off. And did you feel that because of that, like that alcohol became this thing? that helped you in a way feel loved, helped you be more comfortable with yourself, helped you fit in with other people? Do you think that was what was most appealing about it? Absolutely. I often, as we all do reflect, I reflect and I think, I mean, I'm still less than two years sober today. So I'm still, you know, a kind of a newbie. And I absolutely look back and wonder all that really is baked in there. I obviously have the predisposition to be an alcoholic, right? Like the way that I interact with the substance is different than a even heavy drinker, you know? Yes, it was all of the sudden, 
I'm loved and I'm fun. And that, and that was in early sobriety. That was a very, very tough thing to navigate was as I got sober because I was desperate to get sober because I was ruining my life. You know, then it was like, well, but I'm the fun girl and everybody counts on me to have a good time. And my identity was just completely wrapped up in that. And substances were just such a big part of that. And so then I had to re-figure out, you know, who Claire even is. And today it looks very different than it did at that time. But yes, I would say that it was alcohol was just a way, just, you know, just a resource I used to make me more fun to elevate me. Right. Cause I right. want you to love me. Right. And it seems that you've done a lot of work on yourself and that you've accomplished a lot today and you've done a lot of self-reflection, like you've said, but back in the day when you were heavily drinking and you and you just mentioned that you wanted people to love you and you were using alcohol as this way to make yourself feel wanted and to fit in at that time. Did you know that that's what was going on, like meaning like, where would you get like super anxious or upset about where your life was or did something happen at school or something? And you'd be like, you know what? I just need to go drink to mask my problems. Or was it more just a lifestyle that you were already entrenched in? I was just entrenched. I think my awareness was lacking majorly. I mean, I did not understand what an alcoholic was until I got sober. And so it was just very, the environments that I existed in were very, very conducive to that. You look at all of the spaces, you know, the people I was hanging out with, the places I was frequenting, all of that stuff. Like there were just, you know, I found the people that I could party with and that's, those were my people. And so I found the bars where I could party and that's what I did, you know? So my environment wasn't one that was saying, Hey Claire, like this is not okay. It was very okay. And today I know it was not okay. But I had no awareness of that at the time. And then the the ownership of actions. I mean, that was a piece that I really didn't learn until I got sober. Like it was just, well, I was just was blacked out, you know, period, the end. And now I look at that and I'm like, where were the people at? Like shaking me being like, hey, blacking out multiple days a week is like super not normal, you know? But either way, I have the experiences that I have now and they have brought me to where I am today and I'm beyond at peace with that. And I'm just grateful to be alive. <laughs> You should be yeah, very grateful to be alive. I'm thankful you're alive that we're able to have this conversation. You're able to share your story. And I think I say this so much. I think our environments can create a false sense of normalcy in that if all you're doing is spending time with people that are blacking out on a frequent basis, you're going to think that it's okay and it's normal because there's nobody in that circle that's like, hey, Claire, like snap out of it. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're better than this. You should, you, you have a problem or you shouldn't be like blacking out and driving, like kind of like you said. And then that just becomes the way you live your life. And it's just, it creates a new reality for you. And that that's just all you know, right? And so then you get caught up in that and that progressively like gets worse. And there's so many layers to this, right? Well, and there's a lot of shame there too. You know, at the time that those events were going on, I certainly was not publicly speaking about the fact that I would come out of a blackout and in that situation, you know, because I, there was so much shame attached to it. And even if you don't understand it, you know, it's not okay. But for me, I didn't know any other way to live. And so you just move along, right? It'll be different. I don't know. Right. And I think that there's so many layers, I think, to your story, right? As it relates to alcohol, like it starts with just doing it to have fun. Then it progresses to you manage stress and cope and that's all you know. And then it becomes to a point where, you know, now you're in your 20s and you're, you know, you're still working and you're still functioning as a person and you're, you're a quote unquote functioning alcoholic. What was life like then for you as far as like, what did the day to day look like for you, like being able to manage everything that you were doing as far as your job and also your addiction? And when was the moment where like you realize it's now progressed from you being like quote unquote functioning to you being like, oh my gosh, like I have a serious problem. I mean, I can just walk straight into the event, right? The weekend, the last hoorah, you know, do you want me to just kind of head there? Yeah. If that was the moment that you like realized that you truly had like an actual problem and you couldn't just, you know, function with as an adult. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Organifi. As you know, Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers that contain less than 3 grams of sugar per serving. Recently, I have been loving the refreshing taste of the new Organifi green juice, Crisp Apple. 
That's right, crisp apple. It comes with all the benefits you've come to love in the classic green juice with a new juicy twist. Enjoy the same fan-favorite nourishing ingredients such as ashwagandha, moringa, spirulina, and chlorella, designed to hydrate, energize, and support cortisol balance. The new green juice crisp apple is made with organic, wholesome, hand-picked apples. It tastes like a fresh, juicy slice in every sip, making it the first of its kind the whole family will absolutely love. It's only available for a limited time, so make sure to stock up now and take advantage of this nourishing green juice that tastes absolutely divine. So go to www.organifi.com backslash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off your order. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com backslash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off any item. Now back to the show. Like I said, there were many different events leading up to that over the course of years that made me question my relationship with alcohol, but I did not understand that I was an alcoholic. I didn't understand that it was progressive. I just didn't have the awareness to know. I certainly had the events occur and go, uh-oh, that's like super not okay, but I didn't know what to do. Like I, did, I didn't know what to do about it other than to just go on about my life and then I'm a ticking time bomb until I'm drunk again. And so didn't have the resources that I have today, didn't have a recovery program like I have today, you know, things like that. So where things really took off, right? So my grandmother passes, like I said, and then I take off. And at this point I am intentionally, I want to be numb from life. Like I don't want to feel anything. I now, you know, I've accumulated a lot of trauma over the course of years through these behaviors. And I was aware of that. Now I'm supposed to deal with grief, which was foreign to me until that point. And I was simply like, I'm opting out. I'm not willing. But the unfortunate reality there is when you numb out those things, you numb out the good too. Like you can't selectively numb, right? And so over the course of those next couple of months, my life spiraled out of control. And I was taking prescription medication that was not prescribed to me most days. And I was doing things like cocaine and, you know, anything that would just, just shut it off, just shut it off. I just didn't want to feel. And so I would go to lengths. And so my weekend getaways would turn to three days, four days. I'm flying home late a day or two every single time. I am just neglecting my work and paying someone else to help me with my work because I'm not going to do it. I was neglecting my continuing education. I was not getting my taxes paid. Like life was just unraveling rapidly. So then finally I'm on one of my weekend getaways and an event occurs where I am out with a group of people just partying, just numbing, just doing what I do. And, uh, I wake up around 6am and I don't know at what point I had gotten back to the home that I was in. I don't know how I got there, which blacking out was very normal for me. Right. And so I, I wake up and there is a woman sitting on top of me and her friend is in the doorway of the bedroom. And I look to my left and there's a person in the bed next to me and I know them, but I haven't been in this situation with them before, much less with their ex sitting on top of me. And our relationship up until that point was platonic. And so I'm going, I don't, I mean, I don't know how I got here. I can put two and two together as far as, you know, something has occurred, but I didn't own my actions up until that point. You know, I was just drunk. I made a mistake. I was drunk and that was normal. And so then it took this event for me to go, you have to own your actions, whether you know how you got in that bed or not is irrelevant you got in that bed. And so it wasn't until that moment that I actually became aware of that. And so the additional pieces that I think are very, very relevant to this story and to me finally recognizing that is that her friend that's in the doorway is videoing the entire thing. So I wake up and I get punched and I get punched and she's very upset that I'm there as she should be. And then, you know, so she's attacking me, she's attacking this other person and then she leaves and, you know, the police come and I tell the, I literally say in front of the police in that moment, I said, if I'm not blacked out within the next like hour, like something is wrong. Like I said that in front of them, like these are major red flags. Right. And of course I had already taken substances before they got there just to deal with life. And so anyway, I come home from that weekend. I come home a day late. 
it just so happens to be my mother's birthday. And I show up at my mother's birthday and my face is swollen. And my whole body is swollen because I've been taking so many substances at this point that I'm just swollen and puffy. And, and that was normal. But I'm also bruised and swollen specifically on one side of my face from being hit. And so, you know, my sister and my mother look at me and they're like, mm, yeah, you're not, this doesn't look good. And I just said, yeah, I've been partying. Yeah, I'm swollen because I've been partying. And I did tell my sister about the assault, but either way, I want to be clear, like my actions did all of that. And I'm not playing the blame game with the individuals that were involved in that. I have to own my actions, right? And so that was the event. And the piece of that there, I'm, I'm sorry, this is kind of taking a moment, but is just that there was a, the video that her friend took got shared on social media. And so there was the actual video of the event that was shared. And then there were screenshots of photos of me that she shared as well that just said all sorts of deplorable things all over them about my character, right? And about my looks and about whatever. And so now all of a sudden this event that takes place hours away from where I live and is this isolated event where people back home don't know what's going on, it was screen recorded and shared with thousands of people that I know. And so I came home to knowing that there were group chats and conversations with hundreds of my friends where they were all speaking about this. And so I couldn't hide it anymore. And what happened in that moment was I realized I can't live like this. Like I can't accept this quality of life for myself. And I've been living my whole life so desperate for you, for your approval. Like, I just want you to love me. And now you don't approve of me at all. Like you're all looking at this and saying what you're saying and no one's okay with this and they shouldn't be. And so what do I think? And that was a very scary gut check because what I had to think about myself was I don't even recognize that girl anymore. And so that's where I went to work getting sober and starting to figure out who Claire even is. Like, what are her values? Does she have them? What are they? Is she going to live by them? Is she going to own her actions or not? And thanks for being so vulnerable and, and sharing all that. I got to imagine that, I mean, it's obviously what that would happen was incredibly traumatic and hard at that moment of your life. And it's, I'm sure has definitely impacted you long-term, but I think it's also challenging to go back and go back into those memories and share it in a, in a public setting. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. And you mentioned like that you were going on these getaways it, based on what I've, what I know, it seems like you were going from, were you going from Oklahoma to Dallas? Is that where you were going for these, for these getaways? It was a frequent, yeah. I mean, it wasn't just there. There were other locations as well. I mean, I'd travel all over the place, but yeah, that was like a frequent go-to. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So you, so and you that would, did occur in Dallas. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So you would go on these getaways and you would go from home to these different spots to, to party and to, to hang out with different people. And you were working as a realtor, right? At the time, right? Correct? Yes. I was a, a residential real estate agent. Got it. Okay. And so a lot of people in that moment that you just described where you were humiliated, you were assaulted, you hit this massive like rock bottom moment in your life. A lot of people would just go back to using more drugs right? Because they're like, oh my gosh, I can't feel these emotions. There's so much pain. I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm traumatized. I can't cope. I'm just going to go back to doing what has worked, right? For even though like, you know, it can negatively impact your life in a way it's, it's worked as far as coping and, and numbing the pain. Before we get into your comeback story and how you crawled out of this hole into sobriety, what are three tips for somebody that is in a position like you were in that is completely broken, lost, uncertain, afraid of where their life's going to go? Like based on what you know now, what are three tips that you'd like to share with them? First, I'd like to tell them that if they don't believe in themselves to borrow my belief and that I do believe in them. And because I just think that in that moment, you feel pretty broken and your belief in self is very depleted. And so I just want to communicate to whoever that is that's listening. I want to remind you that you are capable. You are a very resilient human. You have been through a lot and you are capable of getting through this and coming out the other side. It is going to take work, but what is the alternative? It is worth doing. So I just want to say that. From there, you know, I think that an essential piece for me in the very beginning was letting someone know I'm not okay. This is a theme I see with people who make lifestyle changes all the time, and it certainly was I was no exception to that, was finally admitting to myself that this was unacceptable. 
and then was going to people that care for me and saying, I'm not okay. This is the problem I'm having. Can you help me? And so I knew of a couple of friends who were sober and they had some sort of resources that they utilized. And so I just simply communicated to those individuals, hey guys, I know that you are sober and I'm afraid I I need to get sober too. So could you help me? And so step one would definitely be get with somebody that you trust that cares for you. And if you don't know who that is, guys, guess what? You can send me a DM on Instagram and I will talk to you. That matters. You matter. So from there, I got involved in a recovery program, which was an essential piece of my story and is still an an essential piece of it today. So I would say, let's see, that was only one. And you want three things that I would tell the person. Well, that was two. You said believe in yourself. And you said the second thing, like believe that you're capable of certain things. And the second thing was to reach out to to people that you trust or people in recovery and then admit to them that, you know, you're having a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. I guess then from there, you know, the third thing I would start to implement immediately is take a look at the rooms that you're putting yourself in and don't put yourself in the rooms where you can't trust yourself yet. You know, if, if you understand, like, I wish that I had had more respect for my own boundaries early. And I think that that's something that takes time and you need to give yourself grace with every ounce of this, because this is not easy work. It is worth it work, but it is not easy work. And so for me, you know, things like no, thank you is a complete sentence that's a real one. You know, you don't have to explain yourself why you're not drinking anymore. But then also if you're regularly involved in activities that are centered around drinking, like maybe you just don't go today. I feel very comfortable never going. I don't mind at all. If you care about me, we can hang out in another space that I am comfortable in. My, my sobriety is far too important to me to put myself in those situations. And I'm at peace with that. And if we have a relationship, you will see me outside of those rooms. But that was something that took time to learn. So my third thing I think would be like, check your boundaries and make sure you're not sticking yourself in spaces where you don't have an upper hand at all, you know? Yeah, especially like in early sobriety, right? Because those I think are the, some of the most pivotal months, right? I think a lot of times if you can make it through those first few months and like reestablish some new coping mechanisms, reestablish some new friends, do some self-discovery, I think your chances of making it long-term are pretty good, right? Compared to if you just go back to doing the same things you were doing before you got sober. So those are three great tips. Um, Believe in yourself, reach out to somebody and let them know that you're struggling. And then third is to pay attention to situations you're putting yourself in and making sure that you're not putting yourself in a place where you don't think you'd be able to handle a decision that's you know best for where you want to be in your future. And so back to your story. So let's dive in. So you end up, you know, going through this traumatic event, you end up, you know, reaching that point where you're asking yourself some questions about what you want for yourself. Where does it go from there? You reach out to a friend, they help you get into, you know, a 12-step program. What did those first few weeks look like for you? Messy. <laughs> Sad, lonely, confused, desperate. <laughs> I mean, it was not easy. And I would say for me and everyone's experience is different. And so with all of that advice, cling to those resources, guys, find those resources and just, just immerse yourself. If people have a quality of life that you want, and specifically with substances, if you know people who are sober, let them help you take their suggestions and run with it. Like what's the word? Like, I mean, they, they at least have your best interest at heart, you know? So for me, in my experience, the first 90 days was very challenging because my identity had been so wrapped up in being that fun girl. And I didn't know how to be her without those other things. And I didn't know what spaces I was comfortable in and uncomfortable in. So it was just a, I mean, the learning curve was huge. And then also that reestablishing, you know, so therapy was a very regular thing for me where I started to need to just sit down with someone and, and talk to them about my experiences, what I'm going through, and then eventually dive into some of the stuff that occurred over the years that I was drinking. And so it was, I think the biggest thing with those first handful of months, it was a lot of giving yourself grace. You know, I mean, my weight fluctuated a good bit because I was pretty out of control feeling and you take away a coping mechanism and another one's going to pop its head up. Right. And so for a lot of people, and so you took away my substances and so, okay, well, I've dealt with binge eating in the past. And so that was something that came back up for me was 
I'll just try to numb out these uncomfortable feelings via food now. And so it wasn't a huge fluctuation. I had the awareness, thankfully, at the time to know, like, this is something I can work on. I do understand that nutrient-dense foods are important, you know, and so continued to try to strive to work against that. But, you know, the regular practice of prayer became a big, big, big part of my life, and it's now huge as well. And and just trying to be present for other people instead of myself, like finally you know, through all those years of drinking, it was just like, what's going to please me? What's going to get me where I'm trying to go? And so to really pivot and shift my energy to like, I'm just going to choose to show up for other people and ask them how they're doing. And that as a result will positively impact my day. And I completely understand that now, but at the time those were, you know, things that I was trying to practice. And then, you know, through the 12 step program that I was involved in, certainly, you know, inventorying my past and looking at my behaviors and evaluating them and all of that was all all part of the deal, right? Right. And I want to get into how you began to redefine yourself and how you transformed your identity and, and developed into this new version of yourself. But I, I first want to go back to something that I think a lot of people struggle with in early sobriety, and that's like feeling so overwhelmed to where now like sobriety becomes like a full-time job where now you have to you know, go to meetings. If you're in a 12-step program, you got to now deal with all these new thoughts, new emotions that were being masked with a substance. You have to, you know, talk to certain people that you haven't talked to in a while. You have to make amends with certain people. You now have to figure out how you're going to live like in a body, so to speak, that isn't numbed with substances. All these things are popping up and people get so overwhelmed that a lot of people just quit because it's so hard to navigate. What were some of the things that helped you in those first few months, like when you were feeling super overwhelmed with everything going on? Like, how did you navigate that process? Yeah, having check-ins with other people was definitely the biggest thing of having, being given this instruction list of, you know, if you say you're going to show up somewhere, show up somewhere and do it consistently. So things like that. There were mentors in my life, you know, my therapist and a couple of other mentors in my life that I had regularly scheduled calls with that I had to check in with these people. And so accountability to other people was a very, very crucial, essential piece of that. And it still is today. Like I still have accountability to other people today. That didn't just leave me. You know, I, I am, my life has gotten so beautiful. I don't even get it. Like I'm, I'm genuinely confused about my life right now, you know, but I also, I know that I'm doing the work. It's just wild to see that your quality of life can transform in this beautiful way in such a short period of time. But those practices that we started to implement in early sobriety didn't just disappear once life got good you know? So things that helped me very early in sobriety were definitely just like implementing practices of, of the simple stuff, like the stuff that now as, as a personal trainer, as a coach, things that I speak to people about all the time, like this is not exclusive to people in recovery from substance abuse, right? This is like, these are generally good things like making your bed in the morning, having a gratitude practice where you actually sit down and write down five things that you're grateful for each day or some variation of that, right? Having a routine. Routines are very helpful for people in early sobriety or in any stage of life, but having a consistent routine just gives you, if you have some consistency, then some of that overwhelm is less likely to occur. That getting outside of yourself, I feel like a lot of us can experience overwhelm when we spend too much time inside of our own brains. And so, so while this beauty about spending time inside your own brain and reaching that point of solace, because that was another thing with the escapism through substances was I did not spend time with my own thoughts. And so in early sobriety, when my therapist was telling me I needed to sit in silence, I was like, um, what? <laughs> no, no, I don't like that. I don't, she doesn't have anything nice to say and she didn't, but I was asked to do that by someone that I respected and I did it. And now I understand the value in it. And so I do have respect for spend time inside your own brain, but then also go show up for other people. And there are so many different ways that you can go about doing that. It's not even funny, but get some of that stuff regularly on your schedule for your own mental health, right? Like get yourself somewhere where you can just show up and be of service. And they're just, yeah. So that would be another big piece in early sobriety. Right. And like you said, you, you live this life now that it's like, it's so like unimaginable at times, I'm sure compared to where you were, like you look at where you were and you're like, oh my gosh, like, how did I get here? Like, you know, you're doing the work, but still sometimes it's, it's just shocking when you are able to achieve so much, especially in a short amount of time, because like you said, you've been less than two years sober and you've achieved like so much 
throughout your sobriety. And I want to talk about like a close relative of overwhelm, which is uncertainty. And that is something that a lot of people, I think, struggle with when they are entering in sobriety. They're going to a meeting and they're seeing somebody speak who's like 10 years sober and they're like, holy crap, like I'm like 10 hours sober. How am I going to get 10 years? Or they're like, oh my gosh, like, am I ever going to get into a healthy relationship? Are my parents going to forgive me? Am I going to get a good job? Like I can go on and on with different examples. How did you deal with uncertainty? Given that you used alcohol as a coping mechanism for a good bit of your life, that's all you knew. Now you're in sobriety that's super new for you and you're having to learn all these new things. And I'm sure fear, anxiety, uncertainty was pretty uh, common in your head. Like, how did you deal with that? It's that phrase you hear all the time. You already know what I'm going to say. One day at a time. That is the reality of it. Anxiety lives in the future. All of that uncertainty is all about shit you don't know shit about yet, you know? So reminding yourself of that and allowing people to be in your life that can help remind you when you veer off the path and forget, when you get into that overwhelm and you get into that uncertainty, that you can be honest with other people to say, I'm not feeling great. And then somebody can say, okay, take a step back one day at a time, one thing at a time. And so that was it. That's it today. Obviously, you know, it, it, I love that someone actually just recently said to me, I came in, we do these community events at this place called Collective where I work, which is this beautiful wellness. Just, it's just such a cool concept. It's a private wellness club anyway. And so we do these monthly events. And so I come in and I just had had a lot, my schedule has been very full, right? And I have a tendency to be an extremist in all things. And so I like to fill it to degrees that are sometimes unrealistic expectations of self. So I show up and I look as though I'm a bit overwhelmed. And so one of the coaches there, who by the way, is not a sober per I mean, I actually don't know either way. This is not a part of her journey, you know? And she looks at me, she says, Hey, are, are you good? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, are you actually good? And I was like, there's just a lot going on right now. And so I just need to take care of the thing directly in front of my face. And then I need to take care of the next thing directly in front of my face. And I need to just do that on repeat to get through stuff. And she said to me, I couldn't believe she said this. And she said, imagine if you had been trying to take care of the things that you're trying to take care of now and do the things you're trying to do now when you were still drinking. And it was like, I can't believe that she had the awareness to say that. And it was such a good reality check that all of these problems, which are not problems at all, they are opportunities that I have today. Like they didn't exist at that time. Right. But yeah. So the uncertainty piece of it, another thing I like to remind people of, and that I remind myself of regularly is like, play it out. Right. So if you're experiencing fear about a lifestyle choice change or you know, something, anything that's going to change, right? If you're experiencing fear about that, you're going to take this action and it's a leap of faith and you don't know if it's going to work out or not, right? Then I love to play out the like the what if scenario. So what if it falls on its face? If it just fails, right? Like what's the worst possible outcome? And like, are you okay with that? And for me, at least, like I enjoy that experiment because I'm like, oh, what I do know through my experiences in life is that I am very resilient and that I will figure it out. And so maybe the story doesn't go like I think it's going to go, but like either way, I'll find a way to land on my feet and I'll walk away from this and I will have learned things along the way. And so with that early sobriety, uncertainty, whatever, like you literally just have to do today. That's it. And whatever's going to come in the future is stuff you don't need to worry about right now. Like one day at a time, right? That's it's just so important. Like, like the way you started the your answer, it's like people just need to really grasp a hold of that and really like even if you're not an AA or NA, like just forget that, right? Just just literally think about doing everything you possibly can to take care of yourself for that one day and to focus on becoming a better version of yourself that day, be better than you were yesterday and the next day and the next day. And what happens is you start to stack these small wins because what happens is a lot of people they don't have the confidence to stay sober one day, let alone like 10 years. So when you start to stack these days on top of each other, you look back and it's been like a week and you're like, holy crap, like this is the longest I've ever gone 
without like using. Holy crap. Yeah. And then that starts yeah. to motivate you. And then you start to go, it's like two weeks, three weeks. And that's why I love, because that's the same thing with like fitness, right? You're, we're both trainers. So you see this a lot with fitness with whether you're working on something strength-wise, cardio-wise, or you know, weight loss, whatever. It's like you start to stack these small wins and that's how you build self-confidence. Yeah. And it's habit stacking. It's a compounding effect. It does not all happen overnight and it doesn't need to, and you'll get really far with those tiny actions. And so one of the things I did in early sobriety as well was a friend of mine was doing the 75 hard challenge. And I launched into that, I think in like, I'm like 30 days sober, maybe. (laughs) And so the 75 hard challenge has a number of different actions and I'm not suggesting that any individual do this or anything, but, but it had all these daily checklist items, practices, whatever. And that actually kept me really busy. And so for me, that was a great experience. And because of all of this recovery jargon that I had in my brain of one day at a time and so on, that's how I walked into that experience was I chose to, the friend of mine was doing 75 hard day, like 36 or something like that. She forgot to take a progress photo, which is one of the things you have to do. So she had to restart. She chose to restart. And so when she restarted, I looked at the things and what had kept me away from doing 75 hard before, cause I had seen the challenge before, but it was no alcohol is a part of it. I mean, that just kept me away from it, that thing alone. And so I looked at it this time. I was like, oh, I do most of that stuff each day already anyway. There's a couple of things I'm going to have to add in, change out, whatever, but that's okay. And so I chose to do 75 hard with her. And the way that I approached that was I just have to, like, I don't have to think about how many days or weeks are left of this thing at all. I just need to do today, just do my checklist today. So there are, you know, say eight different things you have to do every single day on that. And so I would just go through and check it all off. And that built in a lot of routine for me that was really good. And because of those exercise sessions, it kept me busy getting all of that stuff done. I didn't have as much time and energy to focus on some of the other stuff. So that was actually a really cool tool for me in early sobriety. But all of that really is just habit stacking, you know, and I'm not saying that somebody needs to be an extremist. Like I am, I am pretty extreme a lot of the time, but anything in that direction is good. You know, it's structure, right? Because I mean, I think people in recovery, they need to build structure in their lives because before that odds are life was full of chaos, right? And there was no structure. So I think being able to have structure and keeping yourself busy and having, you know, small goals, you know, habit stacking, like you said, building new habits, I think is is crucial for people in recovery. And I want to go back to fitness because one of the things that's interesting to me about you is that you've you've kind of been in fitness for a while, right? Like a lot of people they find fitness in sobriety as a way to cope and as a way to rebuild themselves and to get healthy and that sort of thing. But you were into fitness before. So talk about your fitness journey a bit. Yeah. All of that is still so crazy. So I actually played no sports growing up and I did not get into a gym till I was in my twenties. So although now I am 30 and have been going to a gym for many years, that didn't come in until my early twenties. Right. So I joined a CrossFit gym six and a half, seven years ago now. And so, because where I was living, that was like the thing. And I actually had tried to join it three years prior to joining it and was just overwhelmed and terrified and left and they belonged there and I didn't. And that was that, you know, and then three years later I came back and had the sufficient level of desperation and was able to, to stick it out and do it. So anyway, I, have been doing that for many years. And you know, the first year of it, it was like three days a week. And the next year it was like four days a week. And the next year it was like five days a week. So it was actually yet again, a gradual build there. And it wasn't until 2020 that I actually had the right people in that space say to me, like, what if you actually applied yourself here? Like, we think that you're more capable than you think you are. And why don't you just go ahead and actually believe in yourself and quit telling yourself you can't do stuff in the gym? And so things actually started to rapidly trend in a more positive direction for me within the walls of the gym because the right people said the right motivating things at the right time. And so suddenly I started to change the narrative in my head within the gym of maybe you can do that. Maybe you can. And so that started to shift. And so then I got my first certification in fitness that year. And then I got another one. And and so now I hold, I think 
four certifications within the fitness space. And so, but I was continuing to accumulate that education just simply out of curiosity. And what's interesting is I still had all of this substance use stuff going on right until spring 2021. So that didn't go away through all of that. That was still very present and a very contradictory lifestyle thing. Like they were not friends. Right. And so it is interesting that I did so much of both, but I did. And I I think actually alcohol is, is another escape for a lot of people in fitness. I think that it's actually something a lot of people in fitness really struggle with and not just alcohol, other substances as well. But yeah, I never identified as an athlete until more recently. And then as a fitness professional, that all came in this year. So that's all been very new. Got it. So it's going back to like your days at this CrossFit gym. And you, so you said that you you know lived two different lives. You were in there and working out five days a week. You had a good community of people there. But then like in private, you were still struggling with, with substance abuse. Did you ever, you talked about like where you would make choices, like you would be blacked out while you were driving. You would make bad decisions with alcohol. Were you, would you ever show up to, like, to the gym drunk or did you keep like that part of your life completely separate from the gym? I really tried to separate the two. So, you know, tailgating at football season is a big part of life. And so then there would, you know, there there were different times, there were different parties or whatever where they would kind of accidentally come together a bit. But I really did try to compartmentalize that pretty well, where I kind of knew who I could misbehave around and who I couldn't. And so I would just, okay, I'll show up here for a certain amount of time. And then I will go over here where I can actually do the things that I want to do with the people that will do them with me, you know? So I did compartmentalize that. And then of course, by the end of it all, I was making big messes and I wasn't doing a good job of any of that. And people were becoming more and more aware. And I think people were aware for probably longer than, than I even knew of, you know, I think a lot of people probably were like, oh, well, she's kind of got a problem, but weren't necessarily speaking to me about it. But as time went on, I did a worse and worse job of separating the two, but I certainly had intentions to keep them separate. Right. And you mentioned that there's a lot of people that are into health and fitness that work out a lot, but still use substances and other things to cope. And it's, I think a lot of it becomes, comes down to the fact that they haven't done the inner work. They haven't done, had this self-discovery process where they're able to, to see that fitness can't be the only thing that makes them happy. They have to find other things to help them cope that are that are healthy, right? Well, they're existing in this space that is fitness, that is wellness. So it's like, oh, well, I'm taking care of myself because I'm here, you know, but really health is mental, physical, spiritual, right? According to me. And so what I was unaware of it through those years is that like, maybe I was okay on the mental, which I, or I'm sorry, on the physical, which I really wasn't because my organs were not thriving, but then my mental and spiritual were just desolate. And so a lot of people I feel in the fitness space through my own experiences, having relationships with people within the fitness spaces. And there are plenty that are taking care of all three and you can see them thriving. Like there's lots of that too, but there certainly are people who are within the fitness space who are pouring all of their energy into that physical cup and the other cups are just not getting the, the attention that they need and they're not happy. Right. And I think sometimes when you work out a ton and take care of your health, that becomes a way to rationalize like doing other things. You're like, you know, I'm going to the gym, I'm working out, like I'm, I'm eating well. I can do these other things now because I'm taking care of like this physical component of me. But as we all know, while the physical component can be hard and challenging, what's even more challenging is the mental game, is the emotional game, is being able to manage all of that. So let's talk about how you began to redefine yourself and how you recreated your identity because you talked about how you know you live this life where you thought you couldn't live without alcohol you were caught up in this old version of yourself and that's all you knew was using alcohol to cope to party and that was like who you were what were some of the steps that you took to begin to rediscover who you truly were what you loved about yourself what you valued about yourself once you discovered that how did you use that information to be doing what you are today I'm, I'm trying to think about how to package that because it organically occurred and it was very unclear. And so the path to arrive at the point that I'm at today, which is not any end destination at all, but there was no, that's where I'm trying to go, <laughs> to be honest. It just, it organically occurred as I continued to take those actions we've already talked about, then 
I started to become the person that belonged in the rooms that I belong in today. And so I started to become less and less comfortable in the rooms that I used to be in and just am no longer in them anymore. And started to do more stuff in spaces that fired me up. And so that really, as I got further into sobriety, of course, I felt a lot of passion around, I've always had passion around people, right? Like if we look back all the way to the very beginning of my, you know, experiences with alcohol, it was because I wanted everybody to love me, you know, like I love people. So anything that is people centric, like I'm, I'm in, you know, so I started to just become a sponge for information. I was already, you know, consuming information about people and how we work, how we operate, whatever. But anyway, I just kind of naturally progressed further and further into the fitness space for work and into the wellness space as a whole for work. And so even though, you know, now I have launched an app where I do the coaching and stuff like that actually was not a goal. It just became, as I was doing that work, the being intentional, the going to therapy, the getting in places and trying to be of service to other people and creating those positive, healthy routines of drinking water every single day, reading a book, you know, a nonfiction book, 10 pages a day. That was part of that challenge. Doing all of these different actions, exercise every single day. Like they formed me into the person that started to do the things that I'm doing today. So there have been some interesting things that kind of helped pivot that. And one of them, you know, is, is we had a team going to compete at the CrossFit games in 2021, which was in late July, early August, 2021. And so I was going to go spectate that event. And I have worked many events throughout the years, mostly bartending, but I'm no stranger to working events. And I knew of a brand that was based overseas that was going to have a big presence there. And I reached out to them and just said, Hey, I'll be there. And if you guys are still having travel restriction problems for your staff to get over, I'll work for you. And I didn't have any personal connections whatsoever. I just was starting to, I guess, shoot my shot, (laughs) you know, with different things that aligned with what I was up to. And so that was step one, I I suppose, that actually got a yes there. So I actually waited and then I sent that again. It was just to an obscure email. And then I got a response and I got to work for that brand. And I was just a, a worker on their stand. And then a few months later, I met with some of the higher ups in that company and they were like, hey, um, yeah, we might want you to actually leave your career and come do this thing for us. And so I was like, oh, I'm comfortable where I am, but I'm not really a comfortable kind of girl. So... And I felt passionate about it. I felt fired up about it. It was an exciting opportunity in a space that I'm passionate about. It's wellness, you know? And so I chose to go ahead and shut down my business earlier this year back home and go do this roadshow for that brand. And then earlier this year, they had also in January asked me to start to create content online. And so I actually started to create content on Instagram just because they asked me to. And so there was no like stipulation about how to go about it or anything. And I was just ultimately marketing items, you know, but finding fun, creative ways to do it for myself. And then what I learned was that this was actually a really fun, creative outlet for me to create content online. And I also learned, wow, people actually really want access to resources. They want information, you know, they want to be inspired. They want to be motivated. And this is stuff that I'm fired up about. So, okay, let's do that. And so my personal brand has pivoted significantly over the course of this year where it started as like mostly funny short clips. And now I do a lot longer form content a lot of the time that's more geared towards growth and education and things like that. So anyway, I mean, I think it's so interesting. You know, they asked me to move to Austin, Texas at the end of the road show I did for them. And so I moved here and then there were some internal changes and I was relieved and we are all very at peace with all of that. You know, I still wish them nothing but the best and they still wish me nothing but the best things change. It's a big business. It happens. And so then I got here and was like, okay, sit with this for a moment and feel out what feels right for you. Because of course, everyone said, you're just going to go back home and go back to work like you did before, right? Like that just makes sense. But I felt so purposeful in the wellness space that I was like, ah, you know, I don't know. I actually, I think I will really want to make a run at this thing. And so it was very unclear what that would look like. I work at the collective now. And that was, I met the owner there and he told me you're going to work here. And I was like, I'm not looking for a job. And then after a handful of meetings, I realized I was looking for a job there, you know, so just sitting down and being one, continuing to do the work of showing up 
you know, and doing those daily actions, but what it was actually going to unfold to look like professionally, it's still taking shape today, but I feel purposeful. Like that's the thing is this is all worth it because there's so much purpose behind it. The idea that we can use our platforms to inspire other people to recognize that they are capable of change and then hopefully give them resources that help them. Like that's the good stuff. For sure. And it seems like you just have this ability to connect with people naturally and to network and to put yourself out there and that you're able to just show up with this high level of energy that I think people are attracted to. But there might be people listening to this that are like, well, how did she go from being in a place like you described earlier where you had this super traumatic experience that really like took you to this place of rock bottom to like, how did you begin to like rebuild your self-confidence and your self-worth in order to like have belief in yourself that you were worthy of doing some of the things that you were doing and then also to be able to put yourself out there in the way that you are now. Yeah. I've experienced plenty of imposter syndrome. You know, I am not an outlier. I am an alcoholic, okay? <laughs> I just utilize resources. I recognize that doing things alone is really effing hard. And so I immediately started to seek help and I continue to seek help and I am happy to receive it. And so, yeah, I mean, all of that, that journey, it hasn't happened overnight. I still experience imposter syndrome being considered like a, a professional within the fitness space. Are you kidding me? That was so scary. I agreed to take that job and I literally had to like get on my knees and pray before my first class and many others, but like, and be like, okay, I have to let go of this. You do know what you're doing. You just need to show up and care. You know, so it's not just been easy peasy lemon squeeze. It's still hard, right? But leaning into that discomfort has given me a quality of life that makes it worthwhile. And so to that person listening that goes, this feels so, you know, just out of reach or whatever, it does not happen overnight. It does take time. You need to give yourself grace to be a human and be imperfect. Because what did I talk about over the course of the last couple of years? I've undergone, you know, I have had to grieve the loss of my grandmother for real. I've had to grieve the loss of loads of relationships that I had at the time that do not really have space for this version of me today. And I love those people, you know, but I've had to set boundaries that have caused a lot of discomfort, but they needed to happen for me to grow. And so I had to allow that to occur. I experienced flashbacks to eating disorders, you know, like I'm just, there's all this stuff in there that just, I, I just want to remind people, like, it's not perfect, but you are resilient. You can one thing at a time, one day at a time, you can get there. And so that's the conversation that I have with myself still today. When you look at all the stuff on my calendar, that's like all these opportunities, it's so cool. And it's just like, I just have to show up, work hard, care about individuals to the best of my ability, and it will sort itself out. And that's like the song and dance I've been doing for myself this whole time. And it's working. And so give yourself the grace and space to be a human and just keep trying. Like, what do you have to lose? Just keep going. Keep believing in yourself, taking it like one day at a time and just trying to figure out like also what you want and like setting some small goals and then getting there and achieving those goals. Because once you achieve those goals, like we've said, like then you feel more confident to say, okay, like what's next? What's next? I never thought I could maintain sobriety for a week. Like what's next? Two weeks. I never thought that I could walk a half a mile. What's next? A mile and so on and so forth. I want to talk about coping for a second because you mentioned that like these last few years, it hasn't been a walk in a park. You've had to grieve and heal from a lot. And I'm sure with that still comes stress, still comes anxiety. And I know you've mentioned that one of the things that has really helped you is that you've connected with people and that you've reached out and asked for help. You've gone to therapy. Obviously, you've found meaning in life and purpose and fitness. Like, But what are some of the things that you do like on a daily basis for yourself that if you are feeling anxious, you are maybe having a flashback to the past and you're feeling down, like how do you cope with things now? Yeah. So if something occurs, because that's a, a great thing to bring up, things do come up and you don't get to control that and they're going to come up. And so when something draws me back to a previous behavior pattern or a specific experience that I maybe put under the rug for so many years and all of a sudden it came up, because that's just how that works, I reach out to someone that I trust and notify them I'm having this experience right now. I just need someone else to know that like, hey, not great. You know, so that's something that I always do. And I think that's very important because your support system wants to be there for you. And 
letting them know when they need to be there for like, they do not inherently know unless you communicate it to them. And so I still utilize that resource heavily. And then I understand that my diet is going to play a role in my ability to cope with life. And so if I have a very indulgent diet, then I am more reactive and things like that. Like there are many other podcasts. Sean Stevenson is someone who speaks very well on this. If somebody wants a resource that talks kind of through all of that stuff in a more scientific perspective. But anyway, I just know that like my coping mechanisms are going to be depleted if I'm consuming, you know, a bunch of high carbohydrate, high sugar food at times a day that I don't need it, et cetera. Like I'm more likely to be a lesser version of myself. So I just have that awareness and do try to eat more nutrient dense food, just crowd out the bad with the good and then also movement. And so movement can be a variety of things and recognizing that your nervous system is aware of all the stress that's going on in your life. So it doesn't need to be super intense. You just need to move. And so mind you, if you're crushing it, feeling it, go get after it, like push that capacity, reach that goal, work your ass off, you know, go for it. But if it's a day where you're feeling down and you just like, you just need some simple stuff, you know, just getting outside and committing to walk for 20 minutes, like that's movement. And that is going to take you outside of that, whatever, where you're not thriving in that moment and just get you far enough out from it that hopefully like movement is just a beautiful medicine. Relationships with others are beautiful medicine. Nutrient dense foods are beautiful medicine. Also getting sufficient sleep, trying to make sure that you're sleeping enough. Because that's another thing that a lot of people in early sobriety, really they, their expectations of themselves are unrealistic. Hi, I see you, I am you. And so we just push through, push through, push through till we reach that point of overwhelm. If we do not give ourselves time to rest, we are going to be forced to rest. So that's still something I learn and navigate even today. But those are all resources that I would say to anyone at any stage of things. Those are things to be thinking about. Those check-ins with others while we're eating. Are we moving our bodies? Are we actually sleeping? Absolutely. And you have to find what works for you. But I think there's always like this common theme of making sure that you're getting adequate sleep, making sure you're connecting with other people, making sure you're having some sort of movement each day, making sure you're nourishing yourself. I think a lot of people that thrive in recovery, they incorporate those things on a daily and weekly basis. And also when they're having a hard time, those are some of the things that they make sure that they keep in check so that they can kind of like ride that wave that we all know that comes when we're not feeling like great about ourselves. The last thing I want to ask you is, have you ever had to like check yourself in the last like year or two and being like, man, like this lifestyle that I'm now leading while it's good and you found purpose and you find meaning like you've become like addicted to it. Like you've mentioned you're an extremist, right? So have you ever had to to say to yourself like, man, like I got to watch like how much I'm packing my schedule? Yeah. Balancing is a verb, <laughs> right? So I don't feel that we're ever always in balance. We're just trying, you know? So maybe we're like bumping against the walls a little less hard these days, hopefully, but like, it's still going to happen and life is still going to happen on life's terms. And you aren't, there's so much going on that's out of your control all the time. And so, yeah, trying to just, I think with where I'm at today, I try to express a lot of gratitude for where I am because holy crap, I'm where I am. That's crazy. It's crazy. And then also just understand that like, I don't have control over tomorrow. So I want to appreciate and savor the beauty and not like expect something bad to occur, but like just understand, you know what I mean? Just take a look at all of that. And it's, it's just, it's a navigation act. Like it's not perfect. And there are some days where you're crushing it. And there are some days where you are not, you know, but all of those practices that another thing that came to mind at one point was just like, you know, reactivity versus, you know, proactivity is such a big thing in my life, right? Is like trying to proactively have all of these daily practices so that I'm not in this reactive state. And then if I feel reactive to try to step back and recognize that I'm in that state and that maybe now isn't the best time to take action. But yeah, I mean, I think I wouldn't tell you that I've got it all sorted out because that's just not reality. But I do have a solid support system today that really tremendously helps with that. And then just good daily habits that help curve that. Got it. Well, that's awesome that you have the self-awareness to kind of know all of this and know like when to, 
you know, reach out to support and then also like just be able to have grace and gratitude for where you're at. And then also just know that you can only control what you can. Right. And I think your story is amazing. I think it's incredible. You should be so proud of yourself. Also, your story is incredible, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, that was really cool. So with all that said, you, you mentioned the app. I know you have a podcast. It's called, I think it's a Conversations with Claire. If people want to connect with you, if they want to listen to the podcast, if they want to follow along your journey, like where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah. So one other quick thing before I tell you that, that just did pop up for me is just another thing with that support system piece that I have gone back to many times. It's transformed significantly. And one of the things I have done is I have identified people that I want to be in my support system and I have fairly relentlessly pursued relationships with them. And so that's another key piece there for anyone who is in their journey, who is like, well, my support system is not optimal right now. Like, that's okay. That's okay. Look around, look for people who you do want to be a part of your circle and you're going to continue to find more as like, this is a compounding effect thing, right? So like, it may be a little hard to find that like first one and then it just gets easier and easier and more options become available. But with that, for me, I have found those people they live all over the world <laughs> and I have relentlessly pursued a relationship with them in how can I show up for them? I have really, really tried to look at those people and go, I look up to you for this reason or this reason. I am empowered by you, whatever you do, whatever content you create, whoever you are. And I just want a relationship with you. How can I support you? So that's another thing that like, I feel like is an action item that somebody can really, really take and use is if you're feeling like you're all alone, one, you're not. And to pursue those people, show up for them and watch what happens. It's beautiful. So, okay, where can they find me? So yes, I have just launched my app. My app is Wellness with Claire. We are actually, I believe it's gonna start January 2nd. We're gonna run an eight-week challenge. But anyway, you can get in there at any given time. Through the app, I coach mindset, movement, and nutrition. So you get all of that within one place. And so that's something I'm like way, way fired up about. There's meal plans in there, macro tracking in there, all of that good stuff. There's all sorts of mindset coaching directly from me. There is also a bunch of different styles of workouts, whether you work out from home, whether you work out at a regular gym, whether you want to do Metcons on all that good stuff, all that stuff is in there, progressions. So anyway, that's one thing that I'm up to today that I'm really fired up about. I also have conversations with Claire, which is my podcast. You can find it on any different podcast platform. And then the other primary social that I'm on these days is Instagram. So Instagram, you can find me. It's just my name. It's at Claire Bays. That's C-L-A-I-R-E-B-A-Y-S. If you go to my link tree in my bio there, you will find access to all of these things I just mentioned. And then I'm also on YouTube and TikTok and YouTube shorts and Facebook and we're all over the place. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to include the links to that stuff in the show notes. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Claire shared about her addiction story and the process and what that all looked like. Maybe it was something that she shared about how she navigated early sobriety. Maybe it was something that she shared about how she went from early sobriety to completely transforming herself into doing what she's doing now. Or maybe it was something that she shared about how she copes and what she leans into when she's not feeling well, when she's having a hard time. Whatever the takeaway was, tag Claire, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again thank you for listening to this episode of The Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.